Hey, this is Steve Campbell from the C3 Church. Thank you for joining us for this podcast. Our prayer for you is that you'll be blessed, equipped, and enabled as you listen to this message. God bless you. So the title of my message today is Cause, Courage, and the Church. Cause, Courage, and the Church. Um, I'm going to be a little bit honest with you. I am sticking my neck out just a tiny bit here this morning, which is not something I'm particularly excited about doing. I quite like my neck. It does a good job of keeping my head relatively close to my body, and that's a good thing as far as I'm concerned. But nonetheless, I want to stick my neck out just a little bit. Um, And the reason for that is this. Um, I love nothing more than church. Um, It is my favorite thing to do. It is the greatest joy of my life to serve in church. Uh, It is the thing that makes my soul come alive. It is the thing I love most. Uh, And I believe for many of you watching, that's going to be true as well. Actually, I believe for many of you, you're going to resonate with what I'm saying on that front. And I want to make a little bit of a case this morning for courage and the cause and how that ties into church. So I'm giving you that up front. I'm giving away the whole plan of my message, which is to say we need to be courageous. We need to take church seriously. Uh, and, and that's your kind of trigger warning for today's message, if I'm honest. Um, those of us who, who are here in the room or watching online, you may have heard a guy called Scott Wilson uh, talk about this um, about a week or, or so ago. Uh, he came in and did a staff meeting on it. Um, I, want to, I just want to be perfectly clear. I prepped my message a day before he came, right? So if there's any similarity whatsoever, which there is a little bit, uh, do you know what? I want equal credit, okay? I want equal credit. But if you don't like it, he said it first. That's all I'm saying. So uh, I want to talk today about the purpose of the church. Uh, drop my notes there. And the purpose of the church. Uh, do you know, we, we've been doing this new thing in church with temperature guns, uh, where you, when you arrive, instead of getting a handshake, you know, you get a weapon pointed at you, and that's just part of the new normal, unfortunately. But we had an issue with our temperature guns. We had an issue with them where we uh, were, were testing them, and we saw that they were sort of coming in really low. They were saying like 24 degrees, 23 degrees, um, and, and the normal sort of centigrade for a human body is like 36, 37, I believe, something like that. So if you're 24 degrees, like you are seriously ill. Okay, you're dead. Actually, you're dead and your body has has cooled down, thawed out and come back up to 24 degrees room temperature. And uh, I was like, well, I I have absolutely no idea what to do. Let's just get rid of them and get new ones. Uh, Until our operations pastor, Holly, who's much more practical than I am, said, you know, there's buttons on the back of them. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. She's like, well, this button shows a little picture of a house. And I was like, oh, well, that's nice to have a little bit of artwork whilst you're testing someone's temperature, you know. And she was like, no, 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 I think that may have something to do with what the temperature reading is. And so she pressed it, and the button changed from a picture of a house to a picture of a head. It went from room temperature to body temperature. And suddenly, do you know what, as we tested people's temperature, instead of being dead and having zombies walking the street, they actually, everybody was perfectly healthy and well, which was good. Um, point of that is this. If you don't know what something is for, you won't use it right. If you don't know what something is for, you will not use it correctly. 
And if we do not know what the church is for, if we don't know why the church exists, we will not use it correctly. We will use it in a wrong way. I'm convinced that at this point in time, we are seeing a little bit of what I would call a, a downfall in, in like consumer Christianity. Uh, do you know, uh, there's, there's, there's a lot of... Um, there's been a tendency in a lot of churches to make it all about the consumer experience. It's all about how do we get the most people in and we've got to pique people's interest every single week in order to convince them, trick them, manipulate them into coming back. And so we're getting people to show up to church, not because God commands it, not because they love Jesus, not because of spiritual hunger, but because of a consumer experience. And what we've seen throughout all of this is that that may grow numbers, but it does not necessarily grow disciples. And those are not necessarily the same thing. Um, I heard a pastor, and I won't say his name, but I heard him say that they would not reopen because they could not guarantee a quality worship experience in 2020. For me, that, that says something. That says that this is not about the, 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 the commandment that God has. That says that this is about something else. And that sounds to me more like an entertainment venue than it does the church of Jesus Christ. And the concern has been that if people migrate online, do you know what, if they're there for the consumer experience, well, that's going to be easier and they're just going to stay there. And in fact, what we've found is, do you know what, if that happens, and that's what your church is built on, they don't even go there, they just disappear. And so I think we are seeing that the, the, the spell of sort of consumer habits has been broken, and that that is not a good foundation for a church. A church must be about more than that. And in times of challenge, we have to remember why we exist we have to remember what our purpose is. We have to remember what we are here for. And it is not just about the vibe in the room. And it is not just about the place feeling wonderful. And it's not just about the experience. It is about something more. We are here. Let, just listen to me. We are here not for the great experience. We are here because this is the work of God. We believe that and we are here for that. I want to remind us of our purpose today and take us to a passage where the early church in the book of Acts experienced challenge and had to remember what their purpose was. Um, so this is in Acts chapter 4. Now the, the prelude to this is that in Acts 3, uh, Peter and John are walking to the temple and uh, they see a man who is lame and he says, can you give me some money? And they say, well, look, we don't have any money, but here's what we do have. In the name of Jesus, stand up and walk. The guy gets healed. They grab his hand. They, they pull him up. He gets healed as they do so. And uh, he runs into the temple. They tell everyone about Jesus. A phenomenal story. And then the temple leadership, they're not happy about this. So they pull them off into a side room. The security guards come in and say, hey, we need to have a word. And they tell them uh, the following in verse 18. It says this. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of, what, uh, because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened. Jump down to verse 29. They, they gather with the saints, they pray this great prayer, and then the end of their prayer is this. 
And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Our cause, our purpose as the church, I think, as it's shown in this passage, is obedience to God by making Jesus known. It is obedience to God by making Jesus known. What that means is, firstly, obedience to God. We are commanded to do this. We're commanded to do it. This is not, Jesus is not trying to sell us or persuade us on this. This is not his marketing statement. This isn't him trying to to gather us up and convince us that we need to do this. The Great Commission is not the Great Suggestion. It is a commandment from Jesus. It is a marching order from the Lord of the universe. It is him telling us not what we should do or could do, but what we must do as his people. Our cause is that. And that is something that regardless of situations, regardless of circumstances in the world, we cannot be socially distanced from the Great Commission. We cannot be uh, locked down away from it. It is still our cause. It is the cause of this church. It is the cause of the church. And no circumstance, no trial can change or impact that. It is what we must do. And so we have an obligation. We see that here. And I'm not going to get into any of that side of things. But there is a sense in which our primary obedience must be to God more than anything else. Because if that message is true, if that message, if, if truly what has happened is that God has come in the flesh and he has given his life in our place for our sins, risen again on the third day, ascended to heaven, returning once again to uh, save his people ultimately once and for all and to put death under his feet, then our obligation is to tell the world that. And whatever is happening in the world around us, we cannot get away from that as being our primary cause. We cannot do anything but obey the Great Commission. And it doesn't really matter if the world is marginally more dangerous. The world was vastly more dangerous 90 years ago or or 900 years ago than it was nine months ago or than it is now. Uh, Half of the missionaries, the early missionaries to Africa died within six weeks from disease on arrival. Right? And Jesus tells us, he tells us this in Matthew 5, or Matthew 4, uh, um, Matthew 5, sorry, 14 and 15. He says, don't put your light under a bushel. That is, that is not about us having a little bit of nervousness talking to our neighbor. He's talking about persecution and real challenges that the church may face. And he says, you still have to do something. The cause has never been and will never be risk-free. It never has been and it never will be. What we see as we read the book of Acts on from this point is that those threats turn into beatings, that turns into imprisonment, and that turns into ultimately martyrdom for the sake and the cause of Christ. And Jesus tells us this. He says, do not be afraid of that which can kill the body or those which can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. He says, be afraid of the one who can cast both body and soul into hell. That is a really serious warning. And the mission of God has never, ever been risk-free. 
I want to introduce you to a friend of mine. Uh, he's a, a dead friend, uh, dead a long time. This guy is called Polycarp. I don't know what camera we're on. Can you see him there? Yes, you can see Polycarp. Polycarp, not a common name these days, but one of my favorite saints. I know everyone is a saint. I'm not making any theological claims. But nonetheless, Polycarp, he was one of the early church fathers, very first directly discipled by the Apostle John, right? He had wonderful stories of just how his holiness infected people and how he preached the Word of God with solemnness and with boldness. A phenomenal man. In his mid-80s, he was betrayed by a friend and they were coming to get him and he had the opportunity to escape. And he had a vision and he had a vision as he was praying that his pillow was on fire. And he said, no, I actually need to give my life for Jesus. I'm not going to take the opportunity to escape. I'm going to offer up my life for Jesus. Uh, when they come to arrest him, he says, the will of God be done. As he's walking into the courtroom, he hears a voice saying, be strong, Polycarp, and show yourself to be a man. Um, they, they tell him, look, all you need to do is say, Kaiser Kurios, Caesar is Lord, and we'll let you go. This was not a, a, he didn't have to abandon Jesus. He just had to add a little something to Jesus. Uh, and he says, six and 80 years have I served him, and he has done me no injury. How can I now blaspheme my Lord and my Savior? And then he says, basically, bring it on. That is literally what he says in the ancient Greek. Uh, bring on what you, whatever you want to do. And he says, don't tie me up. I will stand there. I will take it. He, he gets burned alive and gives his life for Jesus. I cannot, I have tried, but I cannot in my mind picture Polycarp saying the most important thing is a high quality experience. I just can't see, I can't see him saying, look, if the coffee isn't good, don't come, you know? Like this is a guy who, who, who gave his life for this and we celebrate these men because of their courage and these women because of their courage. We celebrate them and yet when there are challenges to our courage, we often run the other direction. And, and this has not been the historical you know, message and, and, uh, and mission of the church. Tertullian, another church father, wrote that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. The church does not grow without sacrifice, and it has never grown without sacrifice, which means that safety cannot be and never will be our highest priority. We want to be as safe as we can, but my goodness, it cannot be up there with the cause of Christ. Because Jesus is a king, and this is an army, and we are at war. Jesus is a king who has already given his life for the cause, which means that we may have to do the same thing. He is a king who has already taken back his life from the grave, meaning that if we lose our lives, he has the power to resurrect us on the final day. And he is a king who has commanded us to assault and assail the gates of hell. In that passage, the gates of hell are not the ones doing the attacking. The church is the one doing the attacking. And he has told us not that we will be pain-free, but that we will have victory. 
That is what he has said. That is why faith, faith is a virtue and fear is a sin. And he is always telling his disciples, do not be afraid, have faith. Do not fear, have faith, believe. Because the cause and message of Christ demands it. There is a reason why the disciples in this passage prayed for boldness and power. They needed it. They needed it. In their situation, they needed it. And there cannot be success in the mission of Jesus without radical rebellion against the spirit of the age. And do you know what? That takes courage. Let me, let me read a quote from a guy uh, called Douglas Wilson. He says this. He says, history is filled with restorations and reformations that seemed impossible at the time. That is why we remember them. That is why we honor the people who were involved in them. No grateful descendants are ever going to build a monument for us because we called for and got, quote unquote, mild improvements. Nothing worthwhile was ever accomplished by men who were prepared to be reasonable. The voices of prudence and caution have always whispered to the reformers that their cause was hopeless. And of course, this was a plausible suggestion. Why? Because it was hopeless. The precondition for reformation is deformation. It has to be a tangled mess in order for reformation courage to manifest itself. Listen to this. Desperate times call for faithful men and not for careful men. The careful men come later and write the biographies of the faithful men, lauding them for their courage. We need courage for the cause of Christ. Let me, let me, let me pull this into our context. The gathering of the saints is always going to be the front line of the attack. It always has been throughout history, and it always will be. The enemy has never persecuted private faith, not as the first point of call. It is always public faith. It is when they get out of their living room and they get into the public square, they get into the gathering and they proclaim their faith that persecution arises. The reason for that is that Jesus is building a church. Jesus is not building individual believers. He is building a church which contains individual believers, but the sum is greater, or it, the, the total is greater than the sum of all its parts. Jesus is doing something beyond that. And the gates of hell can overcome the individual believer, but they cannot overcome the church. And the church means congregation. It means a gathering. It means a body that is gathered together. And the persecution always comes against the gathering. The persecution always comes against the gathering. I, I know this, my, my wife, her dad, was a pastor in Bulgaria. At the fall of the, the Iron Curtain, as things lifted, do you know what? It was mass gatherings that were happening, and those brought about persecution. As soon as this thing got to scale, there was persecution. Because the enemy hates that. The enemy knows that the church is the weapon that Jesus is going to use to overcome hell itself. And we, we might say that, do you know what, this is work, that we can do it at a distance, we can do it publicly. And I agree there's, there's, there's some truth in that, but, but, but let's not make the mistake of getting into sort of what I would call like a Gnostic view of the physical. Um, many of you won't know, but Gnosticism is, is a, a, uh, was a well-known heresy back around the time of the early church. And it basically said that there was a good God and a bad God, and the good God made the spiritual and the intellectual and the mind, and the bad God made the physical and the body and so on. 
And they said, we have to reject the body, we have to reject that, but we can go all out into the intellect, we can go all out into the, the, the spiritual, like that is where the key is. And basically, your, your body is just a shopping cart for your soul. That's the only bit that matters. The Bible would totally reject this. It would say that the body is made by God, that God himself made this physical world and he made uh, humankind's bodies in intimate, deep fashions where he forms them out of the dust and he makes the world in which we live, which means that God interacts with us as physical beings. The physical matters. This lame man in Acts 3 does not get healed unless they are physically present. Unless they pull him up by the arm and say, stand up and walk, that man does not get healed. It doesn't happen at a distance. And there are things that we all know cannot be done at a distance. Cannot be done well at a distance. Cannot be done ideally at a distance. I I don't believe there will ever be a Zoom-only marriage, right? I I do not believe that you will ever raise your kids only on the internet, through social media. It is great to have it. It's great as a tool in the time being, but ultimately there must be a point where it comes together physically. We cannot do it without it. It says here, the place where they were gathered was shaken. The physical place and those who are physically there get filled with the Spirit. The physical matters. Jesus says where two or three are gathered, the word is synagogue. That means physically gathered. I am there in the midst. We're told that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. That means that where your body is, the Holy Spirit is manifesting in a special way that he isn't manifesting in other places where you're not. We're told that they had to go and lay hands physically on the saints in Samaria. Peter and John had to travel there to do that because it couldn't be done at a distance. There is no virtual form of baptism. There is no virtual form of communion. These things are physical. Physical tangibility matters. And to pull it back into the cause, and I'll land with this, the Great Commission is to go and make disciples, not to merely send word and make disciples. You have to go. Like, Jesus didn't just say write letters. They did write letters. Letters were a great supplement But they were not the be-all and end-all. It was always tied to a physical, local congregation. And Jesus says that that is how the kingdom will be built. He is building a church, a congregation. It is something that a media company simply cannot do. As I said at the start, this is what I love most in the whole world. There is nothing I enjoy more, and I mean it than physically being in a room with other believers, worshiping Jesus, hearing his word. And I believe that is true for you as well. And I'm just urging us today to have courage, to actually have courage. Now, I I recognize there are different situations, and this is not blanket, but it is important, and and, and we we just don't have time to weed out every single one of these, but nonetheless, we have to go, do you know what? There is something, I was going to say magical, but it's not magical, supernatural, miraculous about the gathering of the people of God. And we cannot, we cannot say that that does not matter or it can be put on hold forever. Something happens in the room. We need to have courage for the cause and the cause is tied to the church. I'm going to pray. Heavenly Father, would you give us a spirit 
of courage. You have not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. Lord, would you pour that out on us today in a fresh way? Would we be a people of courage, a people of faith, not a people of fear? And Lord, would we recognize that our cause is commanded by you and would we pursue it, Lord, with faithfulness and with boldness? In Jesus' name, amen. Um, I want to give you the opportunity, if you're watching today and you do not know Jesus, or you once knew Jesus and you've fallen away from him, I, I want to give you the opportunity to put your trust in him. I said it partway through this message. He, he's God in the flesh, died in your place for your sins, rose again, ascended, and is coming back. And that the life that is found in him is available for you today. So if you want to put your trust in him, I'm going to pray. Uh, and then some instructions will come up in the comments. I'd love you to pray that prayer with me. If you do, please uh, just respond to the comments there as they instruct you to do so, and we'll follow up with you. Why don't we pray for a moment? Lord Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Thank you that you rose again. Right now, I turn from my sin and I put my trust in you. In your wonderful name. Amen. Amen. We're going to sing together. I'm going to try and clear my stuff as well in a subtle fashion. Um, so why don't we do that together? listening to this podcast we pray it's been a blessing to you why not share it with your friends and family through social media if you're not on the regular podcast list then why don't you subscribe thank you especially to those that give if you want to give to this ministry you can go to our website thec3.uk slash giving and get involved god bless you